Welcome to the Servant's Heart Chapel podcast with Pastor Daryl Underwood. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here's Pastor Daryl. What, what I'll be presenting to you today are two different examples, uh, two different uh, instances in the life of Christ that prove one concept. And I'm going to tell you that the theme, the, the main point in today's sermon, I'm going to tell you that up front today. And that is this truth. When we can't, Jesus can. When we can't, Jesus can. So starting off for today, we have a situation here, beginning in verse 29. Uh, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on a mountain and sat there, very sitting there, very reminiscent of Moses sitting in front of his tent to judge the people of Israel. Here Jesus sits, not to judge at this point, but to do what? Well, in verse 30 it says, And large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, and those unable to speak, and many others, and they put him at his feet. And what did he do? He healed them. These large crowds came to him, bring people to heal them. Now today, nowadays, we we see Jesus healed at this time to prove that he was who he said he was. And today we do see physical healings on occasion. But God in his wisdom does not allow us to always be healed from our afflictions. We saw that really even in the early church where Paul asked for a healing and God told him no. And it was for his benefit. But I tell you one thing that we still see today that we saw 2,000 years ago when Jesus was standing in front of everybody, we see a spiritual healing take place. We see people getting saved, sanctified, delivered from sin. Jesus still does that. We see, we heard about that this last Sunday. This, this woman who was in addiction, uh, battling addiction, came to church for the first time since she was a child, and God dealt with her heart, and she was able to be forgiven and freed. All the time. Praise the Lord for it. Verse 31, so the crowd, all these people are being healed. The, the blind can see, the lame are walking. The, the people who couldn't talk before are able to talk. And there was a, a, a maze that they saw. There's people unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Praise the Lord. 
wonderful that they weren't so far gone that they were given the glory of the devil. Which is what we saw some of the Pharisees doing, right? They were saying that Jesus was doing it by the power of the devil. But no, these people gave glory to the God of Israel. God answer prayers, some very miraculous, amazing answers, and he's not always given the glory. People who have been in our own church have, have prayed that God would provide them work, and, and that very next week they'd be provided work, and they never gave God the glory. People prayed for different healings and help and encouragement and 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 whatever it was, and, and not giving God the glory. And it didn't end well for them. Well, they're not here. We need to give God the praise He deserves. Don't ever forget that. We owe Him everything. The crowd was amazed. Verse 32 now. Now Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise they may collapse on the way. Pardon me. The first thing I want to point out is the very first clause of this verse where Jesus summoned his disciples. You notice that Jesus saw a need, and the first thing he did was called his followers. You know, God still does that. When God sees a need, God could take care of it himself, but he, he wants us to partner with him in helping fulfill a need, whether it's a spiritual need or whether it's a physical material need. So Jesus summoned his disciples. And so I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that when there's a need, God calls on people to help. And God may call on you to help. And to sacrifice your time, sacrifice your money, sacrifice uh, your effort, your, your skills, your intellectual powers to do whatever God calls you to do for His glory, for His kingdom. Whether it's just bringing someone a glass of water or leading someone to Christ. So He summoned His disciples and He said, I have compassion on the crowd. Another truth I want to bring across completely where it's, it's clear, there's no uh, confusion at all, is this truth that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. You know Jesus cares. If you walk away with anything from today, going home, or after you listen to this podcast, I want you to know that Jesus cares. He cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your life. 
Maybe you're going through a financial struggle. Jesus cares. Maybe you're going through a health challenge. I want you to know that Jesus cares. Maybe it's an emotional turmoil. Maybe you're battling PTSD or depression or anxiety or sadness of any kind. I want you to know that Jesus cares about you. battling addiction or you're suffering some kind of abuse maybe it's verbal or, or physical abuse and, and you're at a complete loss Won't you know that Jesus cares He cares about you He had compassion on the crowd. And he said, because they stay with me three days. They stayed with him three days. <clears throat> they stayed with him. They didn't want to leave. They ran out of food. They didn't care. Like, I'm not leaving. People have a hard time sitting through a whole church service. Have a hard time making a church once a week, let alone all the events. Go to church Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and midweek. A great spiritual litmus test. Is, answer, is, is answering the question, how much time do you want to spend in church? How much time do you want to spend in church? It's, it's, it's a great uh, indicator of where your heart is. And someone who backslides, who turns away from God, it usually starts off in personal devotions. That starts going by the wayside. And then you start thinking of excuses. You, you go regularly, but man, if anything comes up at all, if Susie's got the sniff, sniffles, the whole family's staying home. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to someone who, who's done that. If, if, when we were younger, before... Before I started taking God really seriously, when I was just kind of a nominal Christian, a mediocre Christian, if Cody or Shina were sick at all, oh, we, we'll stay home. We'll only go to church. I was looking for excuses to not be in church. But you know, when God sanctified me and I got serious with Him and everything changed, I wanted to be in church no matter what. One of the kids were sick. I'd like to say we, we took turns. I don't think we did. I think poor Missy always ended up staying home. Because I wanted to be in church. Everything changed. And it's a great litmus test. And if you're struggling 
with with I uh, being in church whenever the church doors are opened. If you don't want to be there, if you're not hungry to be in the house of God and and, and want to participate in worship and 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 songs and prayers and and hear a sermon, which I hope is a, is a, is a challenging sermon to you. I hope it's an inspiring sermon to you. I try very hard to bring you something of value. If, if you're not looking forward to that, I'm looking forward to Sunday evening Sunday school and, and learning, cracking with the Bible and an in-depth study of some kind or or the connection group where we have the, the prayer times and the Bible studies and, and just being together. If you're not looking forward to that, you need to be honest with yourself and know something is not right in your heart. They were with them for three days and they had nothing to eat. And so he didn't want to send them away hungry. He said they might collapse on the way. You know, Jesus, he knew that they'd probably collapse on the way, the way back, the walk back to town. See, they were in, they weren't in town. They weren't at a convention center. They were in the wilderness. And so it was a, it was a good hike back to town. And they were free. Jesus was concerned that they'd pass out on the way back. You know, Jesus knows we're weak. And he's so gentle with us. When we falter, when we fail, when we get confused, when we wonder what's going on, we worry over things that we shouldn't be worrying about. Jesus knows we're weak. The disciples, verse 33, the disciples said to him, now, let me back up a little bit. So this is the second time Jesus performs a miracle of feeding a lot of people. This is the feeding of the 4,000. And a while back, Jesus fed 5,000. The first time Jesus fed people, the disciples clearly expressed that there was no way. There was no trust in Jesus. This time it was a little bit different. I will say to him, where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? All they did was express, they didn't express distrust in Christ, they, they expressed the reality that there was no resources, no natural resources to help. There was a failure on the part of man. There's nothing. There's nothing here that's capable of feeding this crowd. So then Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. 
So then, verse 35, after commanding the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks before he ate, and that's that's one of the reasons why we do. Because Jesus did. Now he broke them, broke them, and gave, and kept on giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. So he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples distributed to the crowds, and that's that's Jesus gives to us. And we give to others in darkness. Did you know that? We're expected to spend time with God and fill up with His joy and His glory. And we go into the world where people are angry and bitter and sad and lost. And we shine. to be an encouragement and a blessing to others. Disciples gave to the crowds. Verse 30. Oh, let me back up. So, Jesus, 36 again. Um, so, Jesus took a, a few, uh, seven loaves and a few small fish and, and, and gave it all to the crowd. You know, Jesus... We'll make much of what we have. You know that? Whatever situation you're going through, you're like, I don't have a whole lot to give to this. Jesus will make much of it. Verse 37. And they all ate. And we're filled. <clears throat> Pardon me. Everybody. <clears throat> okay. Give me a second here. <clears throat> Everybody ate and they were filled. Now, I wanted that word filled, that Greek word indicates not just filled, but satisfied. Jesus satisfies. And I can tell you there's no sin, no pleasure in this life that satisfies. When Christ is in our lives and our sins are forgiven and we're in a right walk with Him, there's no satisfaction as complete as that. Speaking as someone who experienced that and has walked with God all these years, They were satisfied. Then they collected the leftover pieces and they had seven large baskets full. And the reason, you notice King James just says seven, ba- seven baskets, seven large baskets, because the Greek word indicates a big basket. It wasn't seven little tiny baskets, it was a big basket. 
So they fed thousands of people and still had all these baskets just filled up. Notice that anytime God provides in abundance, it's not to be wasted. God provides me a good paying job that I can do while pastoring. But I'm not to waste it. I'm not to go buy a, a sports car, expensive sports cars or boats or go on uh, fancy vacations or, or buy uh, a brand name clothes just to have a brand name clothes. Right? And blow it all on stuff when God expects me to use that abundance for something else, to minister to somebody else. Verse 38, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So, more than 4,000. And after dismissing the crowds, Verse 39, he got into the boat and went to the region of Megadon. And so we see from this instance, this moment in time, we learn this concrete truth that when we can't, Jesus can. Disciples could not feed the thousands but Jesus could. And all they did was tell him, we can't do it. And then they followed his instructions. And that's all is expected of us. Let's look at another instance. Uh, we're going to turn over to Chapter 17 of Matthew, beginning with verse 14. Verse 14, when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. This man knelt down before Jesus. We are expected to come to Jesus with a humble heart. You're not... You're not... Some people, I, I feel like, they, you know, they, they get involved in, in, in church and, and think, well, I'm just going to do God a favor. I'm just going to participate and lend my skill set, my talents, my money. God doesn't need any of that. We're to humble ourselves before him and, and admit we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. And so this man came to Jesus with a humble heart knelt down before him and he said, verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son because 
He has seizures and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Oh, that's verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Notice that he didn't bring him to Jesus. Probably should have from the get-go, right? Sometimes we, we uh, come to other Christians when we should be going to God. All right, people come to me with all kinds of problems. And I'll ask them, have you prayed about this? Well, no, not really. I'm happy you feel comfortable talking to me, but God is in a much better position to help. So he doesn't go to the disciples. He goes to, he goes to the disciples before he goes to Jesus, to Jesus. But they couldn't heal him. And what did Jesus? How did he respond to that? He replied, "You. Why is this not? Okay, hang on a second. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? <clears throat> how long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. How long will I be with you? Dear sinner, I want you to know that God will put up with your rebellion for only so long. Many times, many tragedies, people have come to church and they felt conviction and they said, no, I'm not going to do it now. I have so much conviction. I've seen people's knuckles turn white are grabbing onto the pew in front of them. And they said, no, not now. I'm not ready. Sometime later. And they leave the church not knowing that very soon they'd be launched into eternity. Verse 18, then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Praise the Lord. I want you to know that Jesus can free you from demonic influences. He can free you from fear. He can free you from the chains of sin. Jesus can and still does rescue us and heal us. So the boy was healed, praise the Lord. And, and the disciples approached Jesus later, privately, and did something, rather, I thought, rather wise. They asked him a good question. Why couldn't we drive it out? Good question. They could have just ignored the situation and 
not really thought much about it, but they obviously were thinking about it. It was bothering them, wondering what happened. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus responded, because of your little faith. <clears throat> you see, their lack of faith, they had some faith, but their lack of, uh, they, had, they lacked enough significant faith to accomplish it. And, and faith isn't some just abstract concept. It's simply trusting in God, trusting that He will do what He says He's going to do. Just rely on Him for what we can't do. It's trust. It's like when uh, Emmett, I watched Emmett and Shina interact uh, before they were married, and, and Emmett would try to get Shina to do a trust fall. Well, Shina wanted only to do a little trust fall, have him basically stand right behind her, and then as she's barely falling, then he'd catch her. Whereas he wanted to stand way back where she would really fall and knowing if he didn't catch her, because see, her standing behind, you know, if a little bit, he doesn't catch me, I'll be able to catch myself. But, but she didn't want it where she, you know, if, if he didn't catch her, she didn't hit the ground. See, Shine had a little bit of faith in Emmett, but not enough faith. Disciples had a little bit of faith in Jesus, but not enough faith. I love my favorite definition of faith. I came from a book, a missionary book I read as a teenager. It was called Bruco. Uh, the guy's name was Bruce, and, and, and the, the tribe that he worked with, I called him Bruco. And so that's the name of the book. And, and he worked with his tribe for years trying to, trying to share the gospel with them, and they just weren't getting it. And one of the major problems was they didn't have a word for faith. There was no word in that language that he could find that resembled faith. And finally, one idea, or one, one day, after years working with them, it, like lightning, it hit them. You see, they would, uh, they would build these tall huts, kind of way up in, in, the, in the, very tall, and, and, and way high up, they would have their hammocks for sleeping, and they'd have them on, uh, uh, secured to the wall of the hut, way high up, high enough to where if if those securing points failed, you would be hurt badly if you, if you fell. And so the idea, like lightning hit him one day, took him, and he's like, and he started telling him, "Hang your hammock." On Jesus. Isn't that cool? Put your trust in Him where you know if He fails you, you're going to fall. You're going to hit hard. But can I tell you something? Jesus will never fail you. Ever. You don't have to ever worry about that. You can, you can hang your hammock on him. You can fall back and let him catch you. Just let go of control of your life. Let him be in control. Give him, let him take the yoke that he offers you.
So they had little faith. And he told them, for I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know why? Because you're just giving it over to God, and nothing is impossible for God. That's all faith is. I have no idea what's going to happen. God has control. And I'm resting in that reality. And in verse 21 he adds, However, this does not come, this does not come out except by prayer and fasting. There are some situations so dire that we need to spend quality time before the Lord in prayer and fasting. There are some situations in life where there would be a great benefit to spend time alone with God in prayer and fasting before you get married, before you graduate from college, some big decision you have to make. Any life-altering event. Or just maybe you're tired of the way your spiritual life has gone. You want to be close to God. Once again, another situation in the life of Christ that proves the central truth. When we can't, Jesus can. I could not save myself. I could not be free from my sins. I could not earn my way to heaven. I could not be free of the guilt I felt and the shame and the fear every night going to bed, wondering if I would wake up. I could not do that, but Jesus could. I could not I free myself of dishonesty, or lust, or anger, or all the sins in my life that had plagued me for so long. I could not free myself of that, but Jesus could. I could not uh, sanctify myself and 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 get <coughs> rid of that inward battle, that the, the the thing inside me that was constantly battling what I, my efforts to serve the Lord. And what He could do for me, He can do for you. And what He did before, He can do now, and He will be able to do tomorrow. We can't. Jesus can. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button.
Also take some time to rate us. Feel free to check out our website at servantsheartchapel.org and you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a blessed week.